we are on Hollywood Boulevard. Vroom, vroom. Here yes. we go. Here we go. We're in a convertible. The top is mm-hmm. down. Woohoo. It's all good. So, what's happening? Well, I've seen some more movies. You have. And I liked at least one of them, so I would like to talk about it. Okay, what movie did you see that you liked? Um, it is called Minari. I think the correct pronunciation is Minari. Uh, it is uh, an American film about a South Korean family, mostly spoken in Korean. Um, one of the year's big award contenders and uh, this year's Golden Globe recipient for foreign language film. There's some controversy there. Yes, it's an American film. Yes, the majority is in foreign language. That's where they put it. It won. It deserved to win. That's what I, that's what I was going to ask, that, that this was actually an American film, but it was in Korean, and so therefore they ended up putting it in a foreign category. Right, which is not the first time they have done that. Often American-made produced finance films that are told primarily in foreign languages are put in that category. Sometimes it happens, but not always. So for all the the yes-but people out there who are trying to create some sort of narrative about this, I'm not interested. I'm not here for that. Right or wrong, I don't care. What I do know is this is a really excellent film and on par with Nomadland uh, that I talked about, I think, just last week on the podcast, a really great film and probably the year's best. So what what won best film at the Golden Globes? Was that Nomadland? That was, uh, yeah, in the drama category. In Comedy the drama category. So this, drama this film would have been up against Nomadland had it gone in regular, comp- like not in foreign. Absolutely. And um, uh, when the Oscar nominations are announced, Presumably, Minari will be in that list with Nomadland and the other nominees. I expect it to be. I mean, I have to say, I mean, we all know the the Golden Globes, the HFP, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, kind of like, I don't know, I don't know. It's a weird, weird, weird organization. Like, we'll just put that out there now. Yeah, Um, yeah. And so they play I fast would, and loose with a lot of things. Yeah, yes. and so I would not be surprised if they were like, well, it's not going to be, a, we we love this movie and we want it to win, and so let's just put it in that category because it's not, like, putting it up against Nomadland, yeah. like, we love both those movies and both of those movies need to win something. I wonder if there was a little bit of that going on there. Yeah, I think there could have been. Um, you know, like, there was that movie that Angelina Jolie did that no one saw, First They Killed My Father, which was a Netflix thing. That's an American movie. But the characters speak a different language, so it found itself in the foreign language film category. I mean, I get it. I just don't care. But what I do think is Minari will rise to the top when it comes to the Oscars. Um, and again, that will not be a foreign film contender there, because... Those films have to be actually submitted by their foreign country. And since Minari is an American film... That it would be submitted by the foreign American country. It hasn't country, been because yeah. there is no country <laughs> to submit it but our. Um, and I will say the Directors Guild nominations came out today, and this is a nominee for Best uh, for Outstanding Director of a Feature Film. And so it's in that five with Nomadland, among others. And I know this is an American film, but we also had a Korean film that won the Oscars last year, right? That's right, which was submitted by South Korea. Okay, but that actually... But it did win. 
but that won the full on Oscars. It not won the big, the one best picture. And right. Orange, one but best yeah, picture. won the big one. Yeah. 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 In uh, in a rather historic uh, event. Yeah. Yes. Um, so. This would be great then if we had two two years in a row of a Korean language film winning. It would be, it would be crazy, and it would be great. And also, it's what I would vote for. I think even over Nomadland. It's it's better. You think it's better than Nomadland? Um. Yeah, in some ways, I really do. I think it is a very astute, um, smartly and artfully told story about this this poor Korean-American family, and they move from a home in Korea to, like, a very basic plot of land in uh, downtrodden Arkansas, um, where the father, played by Stephen Yoon from The Walking Dead... I love uh, him. ...hopes to um, make money by growing Korean produce to sell to vendors uh, in Dallas. Okay. Um, and it's him, his wife, and their two young children, a son and a daughter. Eventually, uh, the wife's mother comes to live with them from Korea. And uh, so, to your point, Stephen Yeun is terrific. Uh, it, it, I mean, there isn't a second watching him that you believe he is anything but this sort of, like, earnest, hardworking, and sometimes frustrated father. Um, and... Uh, I mean, the whole cast is great. Han Yeri, I think, plays the wife. Um, and the her mother, the grandmother character, is played by a very well-known actress in Korea. Yeon Yeo-jung is how it, I think it's spelled. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Um, and she's very good. The two children, um, particularly the son, played by Alan Kim, in one of those great breakout child performances that isn't cute, but but actually feels authentic. Um, it's a semi-autobiographical story um, that from the, the writer-director Lee Isaac Chung. Uh, and so there's a lot that feels very known to him, but he does an excellent job of avoiding the pitfalls of being too sentimental or melodramatic about anything. There are even scenes where like characters are fighting in such a matter of fact, realistic way that you don't even realizing that they're saying capital letter T things that call attention to themselves. It's just sort of the way you talk in real life where you don't even realize you've said something that's potentially much more uh, impactful negatively or positively than you realize. And so it's about how this family acclimates to this rural Arkansas town and, and the people they meet and the way people treat them and how they struggle to make money um, in this, you know, agricultural um, uh, endeavor of theirs. And it's, it's a very trenchantly written uh, a story that I think is just sort of towers above a lot of the more performative scripts that make up the rest of, of this year's films. Um, oh, and so Will Nomadland is similar in, in Minari in that it avoids a lot of the trappings of sentiment, of overtelling, of being expository. You don't really find any of that in either of those. And both of them are, are deserving of all of their accolades. Uh, but the more that I think of Minari, the more special it feels to me. Um, and I mean, I think both of the filmmakers, Chloe Zhao and Lee Isaac Chung, uh, are people that I hope get to continue making, not just making movies, but making movies that are personal, not necessarily 
biographical or autobiographical, but but have some sort of personal resonance as opposed to being like directors for hire or that sort of thing, because they have really evocative storytelling sensibilities, and that's very much uh, at play here. I interrupted you. You were going to ask. Yeah, something. I was going to say Will Patton is in it too. Who he is, and, and I, I wish that role that I wish was bigger. But yes, he is in it, and I think it's kind of a testament to like the the caliber of true character actors that mm. um, the Isaac Chung was able to get. Yeah, amazing! Wow, very cool. Um, oh, I should say the title comes from Minari is a plant, um, and it, it, it's kind of like a very tough and resilient plant that is able to sort of uh, find a way, no matter where you plant it, it actually heals the soil and the water, supposedly, as it grows. And it works as a continuing leitmotif throughout the movie. Um, you know, anyway. I, just, I just thought it was great. Not an ounce of fat on it. Terrific performances. I hope, nomination-wise, it really comes up with with a bunch. Um, and I hope that if No Man Land is the presumptive winner for picture and director, that... Um, that I don't know, maybe it can get screenplay or, or some sort of recognition. Yeah. But I do think Stephen Yeun will be nominated for Best Actor, and in doing so, he would become the first Asian American actor to do so. I think. Amazing! That'd be so cool. And he's I, great. If and I, he if totally I find that I'm wrong, it. I will. I'll, I'll, I'll correct myself. But I think that's it. And yeah, he is very good. He was the best part of The Walking Dead. He was like hands down, like the best part. I loved him in that. Yeah. Um, um, is this streaming? Where is this? Or is this only in theaters? You have to buy this. It's still it, it. in theaters and on demand. So for people like us that really have to watch our pennies, uh, I it's I'd wait until you can get it for cheaper yeah. or free. Yeah. Um, but it will be worth it when you do. Yeah, girlfriend, got to watch her pennies. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I saw another movie which was also a Golden Globe winner, um, but maybe not as good as Minori. And that's the United States versus Billie Holiday, which is like Lady oh, Sings yeah. the Blues, which was a major achievement with Diana Ross's Billie Holiday. Uh, the singer Andra Day plays Billie Holiday in this version. And it is a very messy biopic. Mm -hmm. Unfortunate, because it was written by Susan Laurie Parks, who's really one of the great yeah. playwrights on the national stage. Um, uh, but uh, but no, I mean this is this is a, a clumsy movie that that sort of makes it, it look like Billie Holiday, who, in addition to her talent as a singer, in addition to singing songs like "Strange Fruit," which has a lot of social resonance um, about lynching, uh, you know, did a lot of drugs, and it sort of absolves her from accountability for some of her own demons by saying, well. You know, she had nothing but bad influences around her and she grew up in a brothel and people continually took advantage of her. And then later on, you know, you know, the government and the FBI started pursuing her and framing her as part of a witch hunt. Um, in many ways, this is all the things that I said Minari was not. It is expository. It is clumsy. It is full of fat. Uh, there's one character who is essentially a narc who spies on her who gets caught spying on her, and then she sort of lets into her circle again and gets caught betraying her a second time, and then she lets back into her life again. Does not really make sense. Um, it's a 
it's a disappointment of, of a movie. And I think Andre Day is, I think she's fine. I think she's not the problem. I just don't think she can do much to help elevate this movie. Um, it ends up being a story that kind of didn't need to be retold. Um, and that is available on Hulu. And so you can watch that for free. And I still recommend that you don't bother because time okay. matters too. Okay. Um, she did win the Golden Globe for Best Actress, though, so potentially could be a uh, get in a a tight race for for the Best Actress. But we'll see. Um, and now we turn our attention to the TV. Yeah. So you were going to talk about Servant on yes. Apple Plus, Apple TV Plus, whatever it's called. Yeah. So this is on Apple TV, and it is um, an M Night Shyamalan. Uh, joint, I guess is what Spike Lee calls yeah. it. Um, and you know, Mr. Shyamalan, I guess Knight, we call him, do we call him Knight? His friends call him Knight. I don't think we call him Knight. Um, has caught a lot of shit over the years, um, for his projects, uh, which I'm not entirely sure why because. I kind of like his stuff. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember uh, which, uh, where, like, okay, so when he started off, what was his first movie there? Um, the Sixth Sense? Well, I guess his big first, the thing that put him on the map was The Sixth yeah, Sense. Yeah, was The Sixth Sense, uh, Sixth Sense, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. And then I think with Signs, which I thought was another movie that was just spectacular, but I feel like a lot of people didn't like that one. Well, I don't know. So he did Unbreakable between those two. And here's the thing. The Sixth Sense made a ton of money, had yeah. a relative twist ending. I mean, it's a twist ending. Right. Uh, Unbreakable made a lot of money, not as much maybe as The Sixth Sense, but also had a twist. Okay. Uh, it's pretty good. And then he made Signs, which made a bazillion dollars. Didn't really have a twist. Um, and then the movies he made after that started making less money and also stuck to a formula about having a twist, which meant since they were easier to look out for, they were less surprising in the end. Right. And... It's really just a matter of you can only be the hot thing, I think, for so long. Um, but Lady in the Water is either the fifth or sixth in that line after The Village, I think. Um, and that's one that really kind of tanked and also kind of took shots at film critics because that's what one of the characters in the film was. And it's just like he started losing his allies as a popular filmmaker. Not as a talent, but just as like a popular filmmaker. Right. Um, and you know how easy it is for public sentiment just to move along the pendulum. Um, and I think well, that's a part of it. And well, since then, he seems to have become more and more involved in TV. He executive produced Wayward Pines. I'm not sure if he directed that as well. One episode, it looks like. Um, but it seems like he got a little bit more involved in the TV world, which brings us to Servant. In true M. Night Shyamalan uh, form, it is a weird one. Is um, it a thriller or is it more of a drama? It's kind of a bit more of a drama than a thriller, really. So it's about this couple in Philadelphia and they are 
they're mourning the loss of their baby. Um, they've, they've, they've lost a child, but like the way that they, and I don't think that's a spoiler. It's like in the, it's like, this is like in the first episode right at the beginning and the way that they have the mom kind of like get over it or, or the, the, the father, the, the, the husband knows that the baby's dead and all of that. But the mom who is played by Lauren Ambrose, by the way, and she's delivering a hell of a performance. Um, and she's great. She, they, she's been given a lifelike <laughs> doll to take care of in lieu of this baby. Um, and I don't remember like what the psychological sort of thinking is around it, but she is given this doll and she thinks, or we're led to believe that she thinks it's, alive it's a baby and um and it's really funny because in the opening scenes you think there's this baby that she's taking care of and then all of a sudden her husband who is played by toby kebble i don't would that be like the right kebble um anyway um i i I don't know him never saw him before (laughs) he like goes into the bedroom and to like pick up the baby and he like grabs it by like the head or the arm and I like audibly gasped when I was <laughs> watching it because I was like what is he doing to this child and so I thought it was going to be about like how because he's kind of an asshole and the, the, this husband he's um he's a chef but he doesn't have a restaurant he just has like really great taste buds and so I, I don't know I guess he's like a food blogger and I guess he develops and he develops recipes for fancy restaurants but he also it, it takes place in Philadelphia he also like travels with like one of the Philadelphia sports team teams and cooks for them so anyway he's got but he's got apparently an impeccable talent and he is exactly the kind of smarmy asshole who would have an impeccable palate, right? Mm. Um, And so you automatically just do not like him. And then he grabs the baby by like, and like, and like pulls it out of the crib, smacks the baby's head. Like I audibly gasped because I was like, he's going to kill the baby. And I thought that they were setting it up for this guy to be abusive. And then there's your twist and you get the twist right at the beginning that this baby is not a real baby. It is a doll. And <laughs> the mom... Classic misdirect. Yeah, and the mom <laughs> thinks, Dorothy Turner thinks that this, has convinced herself that this, ba- this, this baby is real and has okay. gone so far as to hire a nanny. Okay. So, who is going to come and take care of this doll? And so the nanny shows up and, you know, the husband, Sean, is like saying to the nanny, okay, this is weird, but just play along with it. And the nanny's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And she like starts taking care of the doll as though it were a baby. And so like the husband is like, am I in crazy pants land or is she just being like really good about this because of my wife? I mean, like, like she takes the baby out for walks. Um, and then she starts putting up these like weird, like symboly things in the baby's room. And now the husband is just like, he is a crank and he is not happy. And, and he like lets it be known. He doesn't like these things hanging around and he's very hostile towards 
the wife, hostile towards the the nanny, hostile towards the baby. Like he is just like a font of hostility. Um, and then one day, the like one day the baby is like lying in the crib or whatever, and all of a sudden the um, the baby monitor goes off and it's a baby crying. Okay. Okay, so now the baby has come to life and it becomes this whole thing where, of course, the wife thinks, has thought the baby was alive all she along. Doesn't so she doesn't notice a difference. Doesn't notice a difference. And and so the only people, it's like him and his brother-in-law, Julian, who is played by Rupert Grant, who in a fat, doing a oh, fat, right. yes. totally not Ron Weasley role. Um, of playing like this, I guess, like, again, you know, very snooty kind of lawyer who's always opening, you know, $500 bottles of wine and stuff like that. So anyway, it's sort of about how this woman, this, this nanny is sort of like brought into the fold and brought into their lives and becomes part of this family. And she's got this weird backstory about where she's come from that starts developing because, you know, the big question is, how the fuck did this baby come to life, right? I mean, uh, did she, yes, one would want to know that. Was this baby kidnapped? Was this did did the nanny bring the baby? Like, was it her baby that she had? You know, that she was hiding from her family, and she brought it in her suitcase and replaced the doll with this baby. Like, so this is sort of like the question that we're trying to answer through the whole the whole series. Um, and so the first couple of episodes I was watching, we were like, what the fuck is going on? And let's watch are we gonna are we gonna watch the that weird ass doll baby show? And like, you know, and so and then all by by like the fifth episode, we were all in and I was like, I gotta see what happens at the end. I gotta know what's going on. I and it was and I thought it was really, really well done. It is creepy. It is thriller-esque, but it is actually way more dramatic because then we also have to learn through, you know, through these episodes how the baby died, which is also another event and a very unexpected, and the baby died in a very unexpected way that all of a sudden by the end it all clicks and you understand why the mom basically went crazy. Um, it is phenomenally done. And you're, because you're always waiting, like you're always waiting for the mom to realize for Lauren Ambrose's character to realize that something funky is going on here and that the doll is now an actual baby. And when is she going to realize that? You know, and so and so you're just kind of waiting for for her brain to kind of process the tragedy and then also the shock that that yeah, now she does have a baby. And where did this baby come from? So have you seen season one and season two, which I've either just only, dropped or started? I think I've only seen season one because I didn't know that season two had dropped. Oh, okay. So um I, yeah, yeah, I have not seen season two. I'm just um, curious as to how they continue to uh, move the story along. But now that I know that season two is out there, I'm going to start watching that because we've run out of shit to watch. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's also, that's a call for recommendations to you listeners as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but are, 
that's Apple TV Plus. Do you watch a lot of shows on that one? No, because I find the interface really confusing. Okay, that's uh, one of the ones we don't get. So I was just curious. Yeah, no, I, and it is really because I find that interface really confusing because, you know, it doesn't show you like, like it shows you what you can stream on Apple TV, but then it also, you know, it also has those add-ons like everybody else has, like HBO, CBS, like whatever those add-ons are that you pay extra for. And it just kind of like mixes it in with the, with the free, like with the, you pay for Apple TV. So you get this, right. Um, And, and so it's really hard to sort of figure out what is free and you know anytime I'm like oh that looks good I want to watch that and then it's like there's an added cost on top of it um and so I don't really like the interface so I don't spend a lot of time there because it's it it, it just annoys me um and it just has been like you know we're just really out of shit to watch and so I was like well we have Apple TV let's go take a look and you know it, I have it for free so it's like I got a year's worth for, you know, I had to buy a new computer. So like I got a year's worth of Apple TV. So I was like, well, might as well use it. Um, yeah. And so now I'm just kind of, you know, so so I've been watching. I do want to watch. What's the one with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon? The, the morning show. show. Um, but other than that, I can't say that there's been anything on there that's like grabbed my attention apart from this one and the morning. No, show. I can't think of many that I know are even on the one that I've heard some good things about and had no interest in watching though. Everyone who likes it, loves it is Ted Lasso with Jason Sudeikis. So I would be curious to know more of what that is since it seems to be so well received, but it seems like it's content wise is kind of slim pickings on that network. Yeah, it kind of is, and I'm I'm very kind of surprised about that. I don't know if it's because they were such a late entry into the streaming um, that they, you know, that they kind of are still finding their footing. You know, they they can't seem to right. get it. You know, um, I don't know. I don't know. I I'm just very disappointed in um, in Apple streaming. I'm also very disappointed in Amazon Prime right now and Amazon streaming too. I you know I don't. I don't think that they're, they're coming out with enough original content that is good enough, right? No, like, it's always an afterthought with us as to, oh, should we check? Is there anything new? And even the ones that, like, they do cultivate seem to be, A, not great, and B, really poorly promoted or pushed. Yeah, like, I enjoyed Bosch, although mm-hmm. I, haven't, I yeah. haven't finished, I still haven't finished the last season. I know a new season's coming up. And IMDb surprisingly picked up, like, because Bosch was going to go off on the, like, after the next season airs or whatever, um, Amazon pulled it. But then IMDb, who is now, I guess, getting into the streaming game, has signed um, the same actors to do a spinoff series. Um, what? Yeah, because in the books, which I've read, a, like, probably, oh God, I've probably read like 18 of them or whatever, however many Michael Connolly has. I, I don't think I've read all of them, but I've read a huge chunk. In the books, um, Bosch retires from the LAPD and goes and goes into his own sort of private detective practice. Um, mm-hmm. And so IMDb is going to spin off with that part like starting from that part where he's no longer a member of imdb uh imdb oh my god lapd and he is um now working for a defense attorney who used to be his nemesis he's doing some uh, investigative work for her 
Um, so I, I just caught that, like, I don't know, I think I saw, I saw a tweet on that on Twitter or something like that. So I don't know, like, I, I don't think I clicked over, so I just read a little bit. Um, but that seems to be the gist of it. And it's going to be the same actors, which is great because the cast is phenomenal. Um, yeah. Like whoever's carrying over, like Titus Welliver and, you know, whoever other, the, the actor that is playing the defense attorney and I don't know who else. Um, but yeah, but that's been, that's going over. I would really like to see um, a Lincoln Lawyer uh, TV spinoff because that series is fantastic. Um, but you can't apparently can't do a crossover for that because two separate studios own the two different properties, oh, which the I properties. think is so yeah. frustrating. So you can't have the characters crossover. And part of what's really interesting with the Lincoln Lawyer is the way that it crosses over into um, oh. the, the Harry Bosch books. Um, so uh, yeah, so so because they're owned by two different studios and two different prop, they're they're two different properties, so you can't actually have the cross, which is a bummer. But um, but yeah, like apart from that and the boys and maybe like one oh and the the Nazi hunter show that I talked about hunters yeah. the hunters show, which again like the ending was such a twist on that one that I don't know that I'm going to keep watching it, um because the ending kind of pissed me off, um but. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, like there, there's like nothing there either, you know. Um, it just feels like Netflix and Hulu kind of own the the streaming game. Yes, yeah, that basically they seem to dominate. Yeah, in terms of like you know the the new series, you know the original series, like they just seem to have more, and it's just better. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what else we have watched. Well, I'm going to throw this out there because we actually just finished the first season. Um, and if you like supernatural shit, um, I will highly recommend Diabolero on Netflix. I don't think it's a Netflix original, even though it's being run as a Netflix original, because it is actually a Mexican show. Um, so it is in Spanish. Uh, and we did try listening to it in English, like, you know, the overdub, it was terrible. So we put it back on Spanish. Um, and it is really fun. It is confusing as all hell. Um, but if you like supernatural stuff, like I love supernatural stuff and particularly stuff about demons, it's really, really fun to watch. Um, and the characters are great. Um, and it's very edgy and I think very unique. And I think that there are some really spectacular performances and we've really enjoyed it. That's good to know. I will look into that. I was yeah. reminded, um, as I was starting to think back on Amazon, one of their other big shows is one of the ones that I think sucks, which is the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I just can't say enough bad about, but they also did transparent, which is one of the best in the entire streaming era. So I did want to give them props for that. Honestly. Yeah, I feel but, like they lost the mojo, more, though. That. Like, that What's was that? so long ago. Like, it like, was very early in the game. It, it started so in long ago. 2014, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I, did, I actually never saw Transparent. But, but, yeah, I just felt like that was, like, ever since then, they haven't really sort of got their groove. I have not watched Maisel because that, that, Mrs. Mizell or Maisel or however you say it, because I, I had no interest in that whatsoever. No, you said it right, Maisel, and uh, you don't need to watch it because I think it's embarrassing. 
<laughs> just didn't seem like something that I wanted to see. No, it's um, not for you. No, but yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's but that's been my TV watching lately. Well, our TV watching has also included keeping up with the weekly new episodes of WandaVision. So that season slash potentially series ended this past weekend. And I, like I teased last week, I just wanted to not at length, but sort of briefly touch down on it because it created such a social media frenzy from week to week. And I think ultimately did so little from a storytelling standpoint. It's just, it's just amazing what viewership consists of now uh what people what people think good storytelling or rewarding storytelling or their kind of storytelling is but and i don't know how to avoid spoilers but the show sort of kept spoiling itself in meta ways throughout anyway um wanda is the character played by elizabeth olsen from the universe of avengers movies and um Vision was her android husband, played by Paul Bettany. Uh, in the Avengers movies, that character dies. But in this series, which starts out like a 50s sitcom, the two of them are still alive and living life like you would in like a Leave it to Beaver, I Love Lucy type of sitcom. Right. Towards the end of the first episode, there are some discordant notes. It looks like something is kind of off. It keeps jumping from sitcom style to sitcom style and sort of furthering their storyline along. So we have like a Brady Bunch-esque kind of uh, scenic design and music. And we have like a Family Ties, Growing Pains-esque thing. And then we go to like a Modern Family type thing. Um, that sort of thing. Meanwhile, we have a bunch of other characters like like government agents and types of outsiders People on the outside commenting that what has really happened is the Wanda character has taken over this town and manifested these old sitcom styles of yore to manifest her grief at having lost her husband. Okay, that's something they tell us. And that's something they tell us like a third of the way into the nine episodes. There's no real storytelling because it's all exposition. And because it's all lifting and referencing existing TV tropes and properties, it's derivative to start. So yeah. I can compliment the actors because I think particularly Elizabeth Olsen, but also uh, Paul Bettany really do almost a, uh, pun not intended, heroic job. But, but there's really no there there. And every week I heard or would be told off Twitter of people who are just losing their mind. Like it was the first thing they'd ever seen. Um, they're so eager to, to just bestow any sort of encomium on people that were doing anything dealing with grief or their feelings or whatever. Eventually, Catherine Hahn, who has played a neighbor, turns out to be something a bit more malicious. Um, and again, the internet loses their mind. Like, it's the first time they've ever seen Catherine Hahn do anything. She's not really being called upon to do much here. Um, but it's a case of people getting ahead of themselves to try and guess what is to come, then being told, not shown, but told what's what, and then congratulating themselves for sort of having been on the path all along. I don't know. I just thought the whole thing was, was 
as storytelling goes, just so unrewarding. And I mean, just the way people drooled all over it and <laughs> fanboyed and fangirled and fandomed out all over it from week to week was like, was astonishing. I do wonder if it was dropped in one fell swoop as a season of nine episodes that you could binge, if the reaction would have been the same, would have been as pronounced. I tend to think not. Mm. Um, but, but we watched it and like, there were things that we could enjoy, you know, the production values were good and it held our attention. It didn't not do that. But I mean, ultimately this is a very second rate B minus kind of, TV show and it's just like I don't know what the barometer is for good anymore because I, I, I just I, wonder if people are, are are like you know running out of shit and they're just like that's great because they like they just are excited you know I mean like there's, there's something to that and I think it's also just like people but they were like really extra losing their mind over this and I think some of that is built in with Marvel, yeah, it's fandom, a Marvel thing, yeah. but um but I mean like really like lost their minds but also I don't I don't trust or understand anyone because people, these same people also kept retweeting things like they didn't know that Elizabeth Olsen had two older sisters who were on a show called Full House. So I don't, like, I just don't know <laughs> anything about anyone anymore. Oh, dear. But, but, yeah, I do want to find out more about Servants as you continue to watch. Okay, I will definitely keep you guys posted. Um, we love the first season, so, um, I'm, you know hoping that it's not all downhill from there <laughs> no i hope he's able to sustain it i mean he is someone I, I i definitely root for and he has a lot of talent yeah so. i think he's very talented i want him to so. stay in the game yeah me too me too fuck the critics that's right that's right i don't i don't consider myself a critic anymore so i can say that fuck the critics fuck the critics fuck them so yeah, I think uh, that I think that does it. Note to listeners: we will probably not be doing Hollywood Boulevard for a couple weeks. We're going to do an extra long Back on the Block podcast next week, and then we'll probably be off the following week. So we'll be back later in March, uh, which gives us plenty of time to read, see, watch, listen to, check out anything you want. Again. That's another call for uh, suggestions. Uh, go to our uh, Facebook page, Back on the Block Pod, and uh, recommend anything that you'd like us to uh, to check out and um, you know give our opinion on. Yes, please, because I am running out of yeah, stuff and Karen to watch. Needs this. I do. I do. We're running out of shit to watch. It's getting desperate. Although Mayans is coming back, I think next week. Um, which is great. I've been dying for that show to come back. Um, yeah, I just wish like, like Anthony won't do rewatches with me. Like when he, like when he, he's pretty much one and done. Um, so he very rarely will do like, cause for me, I could totally go through like a game of Thrones rewatch or, a you know what I mean? And he's just like, nope, nope, nope. So I wanted to do a Mayans rewatch before the, the next season came up, but I, well, I there isn't that much to rewatch, right? No, it's like, what is it? I don't know. 12 episodes. So, and it's only two seasons. Um, so, so 24 episodes total. 
Um, but I don't know that he would do it with me. So. We saw some of like the digital signage advertising the return in the street. And I didn't know it said coming back March 16th, I think. And we were like, but it's been a year since life shut down. So is that, has that been there for a year? Are they advertising last year? Or are they advertising for 2021? So you answered that question. It's yeah, no, back. it is. It is now back. Um, for some reason there was no Mayans, I think in 2020, cause usually it comes out in, um, summer oh, I, oh, I say, yeah i was gonna ask fall maybe i don't know yeah i feel like it comes out in like that sort of like august september period like i think it's one right. of those ones that lead into like early fall um and i don't i think covid might have caused that <laughs> delay probably because they probably would have because i think that the way they film is they film pretty close to the air dates if i'm like if i have my if I have it correctly, I, you know, I, I think that, and it might even be one of those shows where like they're airing and they're filming, like they're airing the new, the very first episodes and they're still filming and like they're episodes. Not done the yeah. They're yeah. still like filming like episodes 10, 11 and 12. Um, well, I think that's common with FX shows. Cause I think that's how every Ryan Murphy show works too. Oh, okay. All right. So I do have it right. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's optimal. I'm just saying, I think they do that. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, so I think COVID screwed that up last year. So I'm excited for it to come back. Well, cool. We can revisit that too. I'm actually, um, I give myself over to the rewatches. I don't mind. So, uh, if you want to bully Anthony, tell him that. Oh, well, um, I mean, <laughs> he might do it cause we're running out of shit. He might do it, but with servant with now having like, you know, new season of servant that I didn't even realize was there. Um, he'll probably want to watch that. Well, yes. Do that first. Yeah. All right. I'm going to bed. I keep yawning. All right. Karen's yawning. So it's bedtime for Bonzo. Um, we will see you hopefully on the block next week. Otherwise, um, stay safe, stay, stay healthy, stay happy. And we will reconnect on the boulevard a little bit further down the road. Okay. Bye. See you later. Bye.